0: Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and I actually have a, a special guest on the line with me. I've got Michelle Burkett. So, Michelle, welcome to the program.
1: Hi. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me.
0: And, Michelle, where where are you guys located?
1: Uh, we live um, in Knoxville, Tennessee.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, we always feel so. We're down here in Texas, and I always feel like anybody from Tennessee is is like a. A, a sister or a brother, you know, because <laughs> there's so many similarities kind of to the the vibe between like Tennessee and Texas. Uh, True, although there's I
1: think a lot of Texans here, so
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually think you have a little bit more green than we do at mm-hmm. least year round. We tend to get kind of brown in the summertime, but um, yeah, I've heard good things about Knoxville, and and we're glad to have you on the program. And and I don't want to waste any more time because I, I really feel like the the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, I think it's going to resonate with so many women in our audience, because um, I would love for you first to be able to just kind of introduce yourself to our audience so that they can know how, how you got to this place in your life where you're helping women uh, and wives to be able to know how to, how to work through the issues of betrayal, work through the healing to get to a place of wholeness and health. And so why don't you give us a little bit of backstory on on how you got to this place?
1: Okay, great. Yeah, so um, sexual betrayal is actually just, it's a part of my story. It's a part of mine and my husband's story. Um, I married my husband, grew up in a non, non-faith uh, home. I wouldn't say that we were, uh, we knew that there was a God, but I wouldn't say there was any worshiping. Um, but we, my husband and I started dating and eventually we got married and about two years into our marriage. Uh, he came to me actually and confessed about his, his struggle with pornography and it had been happening at that point. He was um, 28 years old and had confessed that this, this struggle, this battle had been going on since he was about nine or 10 years old is when things really started to escalate for him. So um I'll tell you that in the very beginning, when that first, that information first kind of game came to me, I didn't really have a compartment for it. I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't grow up in a faith-based home. So there was a part of it where I was kind of like, well, doesn't all guys, don't all guys struggle with this? Like, I'm not really sure what you're saying to me. Um, But he had, he just said he was really committed to wanting to start going to a guy's group. And my thought was great. Go to a guy's group. You'll get all better. And then we don't have to talk about it again. And that wasn't really our reality. So four months later, um, he started the guys group and he was doing what he said he was going to do. But, um, four months later he slipped. he had a slip. And, um, at that point I would tell you that that is what I tell most women is that that's when I lost my ever love and mind because that's when betrayal set in for me, because I think the first part felt so honest and him being vulnerable with me. Um, but then at that point, when he was going into group, he was making promises like, I'll never do this again. This mm-hmm. is not who I want to be. And so four months later, having him do a slip, that felt like betrayal. Um, so go ahead. Yeah, kind of
0: the, what's the old saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of a Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And it Absolutely. sounds to me like that's kind of what you were going through. It's like, oh, hey, before this felt like you're really going to do something about this. But the fact that you willfully went and did this again, that has a different flavor to it. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Especially knowing, I mean, there was, obviously when he started group, there was certainly a conversation of, I don't really like this. Like I think I was, I think I communicated that I wasn't supportive of a porn habit. So for him to go and yeah, have a slip was really painful.
0: So what did, what did losing your ever loving mind look like?
1: Oh, it's a great question. Um, It—if I could be honest—it changed hour to hour.
2: Um,
1: There was certainly uh, there were moments of total rage. I felt completely out of control. I felt like the world was crashing in on me. I felt um, ignorant. Uh, There was certainly a ton of you know negative thoughts and things that were happening for me on the inside. Um, weeks later it progressed to doing things that were so out of character for me. I started driving past the church that he was meeting at, trying to figure out if he was actually going to group because I swore that he was lying to me. Like, okay, if you're gonna lie about to me about that, then you're gonna lie about all these other things. Um and I was constantly just grilling him for questions. I wanted information. And knowing what I know now, in the moment, I I do truly believe my husband was attempting to be as honest as he could. He really just didn't have the skills. And what I wanted him to do is I wanted him to make the pain stop.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: he didn't have the ability to do that. That it was I was asking him to be a superhero and a villain all in the same place. And so um, it really had us in such a place of tug of war. And so that's what I mean by losing my ever love of mine was I I really felt like I was so out of myself.
0: And don't you think it's also pretty common... That a wife would have a response to this, you know, especially like when you said, hey, first kind of confession and disclosure felt like, oh, there's there's yeah, something's going to change here. That's good. When a slip happened later on and you really felt that the fuller weight of betrayal of that, you think it's pretty common that the response is that it really is about you. Like, in other words, and and I'm not I'm not saying that there isn't a component that is about like, hey, the wife in the sense of like, yes, you need to be faithful to your wife and you need to be, you know, you need to make decisions based on that fidelity. But would you say that sometimes there's a there's a component that makes it almost like he did this purposely and only against me? Absolutely. And not maybe able to see that, man, there's a whole backstory to his problem that wasn't even ever connected to you to begin with. Now, can you walk us through that in terms of what your experience of sort of learning through that was like in terms of going from the first initial, he did this against me to being able to maybe see a fuller picture down the road. What was that journey for for you as a wife?
1: Yeah, that was a great question. Uh, Yes. Most definitely, there was uh, crazy amounts of uh, self-blame, right? If I would have, that's about how every sentence started. If I would have been thinner, if I would have been prettier, if I'd have been shorter, if I would have been whatever it was. And I'll tell you how this played out for us is that when I mentioned that I would start grilling him with questions, some of the questions, and this these even happened, I mean, my husband and I have been walking in recovery now for 14 years. And so, some of this was even happening seven years later, like in him still trying to stay healthy and choose what he's supposed, you know, do what he's supposed to do. But, you know, I remember having this one dialogue with him and saying, "So, so, like, what's your type? Like, what are you looking at? Like, what's your type, right?" And he would. His response was, "I don't. There is no type. I don't have a type." Like, the, and he got really defensive about that question, and of course, didn't like talking about it. But what I know now is that I was still trying to figure her out Mm. right I was still trying to figure out can I ever measure up to this thing this fictitious imagery and what I have continued to learn and know and grow in my understanding and what I do this now as a profession is that his answer which was I don't have a type was an honest answer but when he said I don't have a type My, 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 my initial thought was you're withholding from me again. Mm -hmm. There you are lying again and you're hurting me again and so on and so forth. So being able to continue to learn that there were parts of this that, um, well, I have this analogy that I use a lot when I'm coaching with women, is I talk about that, you always have to be careful about asking your husband for a hammer. And so the, the analogy goes that, Right. I wanted my husband to show up and do all these things. I wanted him to be hundred percent honest. I wanted him to be uh, emotionally connected. I wanted transparency, vulnerability. I wanted all these things. And I also wanted him to heal me. Like I wanted my heart to feel better. And so what, every time I was going towards him, I was asking him for a hammer mm. and I'll use this specific example of him. Like, reassuring me making me feel better all these things and so i would go towards my husband and be like well why can't you just tell me and i would have a long list of things and then he would come back and go like he would try but the honest truth was is that he had no reference he had no idea what i was asking for and -hmm. so we always say if you're asking for a hammer make sure he actually knows what a hammer is
2: yeah
0: yeah and sometimes you're just communicating on different planes right Yes. you know Uh, He's, he may be trying to communicate cognitively and you're trying to communicate emotionally. And it's like, you're just missing each other, but let's, let's, let's move forward a little bit. So there's, there's some healing that came in your life and in your marriage. And, um, and we are at some point going to have you and your husband on the podcast to really kind of unpack your, the fullness of your story a little bit more, but I'm really wanting to focus on, on you as a wife and, and really specifically something that you have mentioned um, that you have a real passion for and that is this issue of what does spiritual battle look like in all of this because you gave us a little bit of your your history that listen you kind of grew up in a non-faith home so when did faith enter into your life and then what did that look like in kind of a spiritual battle uh way you know what did that look like in this process for you
1: yeah Okay, I'll try and sum up 14 years of awesomeness in two minutes, okay?
0: (laughs) No, no, we got more time than that. (laughs)
1: Okay, good, good. So um, I actually became a believer when I was about 26 years old um, and gave my life to Christ. I was baptized when I was 30. um, And so that really did move me into a place of starting to recognize that God was more than this image or figure that lived on a big mountain. And I was really blessed to have some very strong um, mentors around me, other females who were really in um, solid in their understanding of what it looked like to have a relationship with Jesus versus be religious about it. Mm -hmm. So that really was a part of kind of the foundation of the way that things started to develop for me. And I will say to you, I think, I I think it's important for women to hear this, that when I talk about losing my ever loving mind, there were other seasons and they lasted for various amounts of times where I was so numb and checked out. I mean, I remember saying to him, there would be days where I was so done. I'd be like, I don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. I'm done. And I would just be like, I'm out. And I would just, cause I couldn't handle any more of the dialogue. And so it was like, if, you know, like, especially as a woman, like if you find yourself like one day you're ready to kill them and then the next day you're like, and I say that lightly, but you know, you're ready to, so, really, you just you're so angry, and then the next day you're so disconnected because you just can't figure out how to find stable footing for yourself. It's really actually very normal. Um, but what I had come to understand, um, I'll expedite our story a bit. So, my husband had, he did have five years of sobriety, and then five years into um, his sobriety, he had a major relapse and um, ended up um, almost losing his job. And in that five years, what I want to say is, is that the Lord and I were on such a very specific journey for myself about me coming to understand who I am in Christ. Mm. And that conversation kept coming up for me over and over again. And it always, always so intriguing to me to be like, well, who am I? Like, well, maybe I'm not like this, whatever the thing that people have told me I am my whole time, you know, my whole life. Like, yes, I'm the oldest daughter, but Maybe, you know, I get my family will tease me that I'm the cruise director, right? I'm the type A, get everything done, da da da. And it finally came to me that I was like, what if I'm not? Like, what if that's just the way that people have just told me to be? And that's not really how God made me to be. And so that was really my own personal faith journey that was happening simultaneously while my husband was in his own recovery and journey. So fast forward to the five years, he has a major relapse. And then, um, seven or eight months after his relapse, I'm kind of expediting this. There was a lot of therapy that happened in there. We actually ended up separating for a period of time and then coming back together. And as we started coming back together and we were doing an in-home separation, the Lord said to me, it's time for you to start sharing your story. And that was, um, in 2010 and I wasn't exactly sure what the Lord was inviting me into. Um, and there was a part of it that I was like, uh, "No, I'm not doing whatever you're asking me to," because that sounds scary. But really, what he invited me into was he asked me to start a group at my local church. So I started a support group. And so let me just tell you, this is where the Lord started talking to me about this spiritual warfare part of our story, like you were just asking about. So just before the group started, I was um, I was praying and I was really talking to the Lord and saying, "I don't understand." I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be talking to these women about. Like, I know there's material and I need to be doing something, but there was a part that I still was lost. And I'm going to just kind of boil this down. And really what the Lord was showing me was that the words that I felt like he said to my spirit was, Lachelle, I have given you and Garen very specific weapons, very specific gifts that are weapons in this world. And the two of you have been hacking each other to death with these weapons. And what I want you to do is I want you to turn and face darkness and use them side by side. And that was the moment that I knew that the Lord was calling us and revealing to me that there was more to be done. And so what I know to be true is that there's actually two battles happening for us, specifically with couples that are facing betrayal. The first is that there is a tactical, I would say, tactical type of attack, which is more of the the here and now, the culture, the world we live in, the porn industry is after us, like they want us to be addicted to their product. But then on the other side of it, there's a spiritual battle. And that's that we have an enemy that hates our guts and he wants to destroy us. And so what I know to be true specifically in our ministry is that our job is to support a woman on both sides of this. We're going to talk to her about triggers and what that means and how that's happening in her body and how that's showing up for her. But we're also going to talk about torment and how the devil loves to do this to us. And so where do we find our authority as a daughter of the king, right? Where What do we do with that? And so that's that's kind of where we are with our spiritual battle.
0: And as you're saying that, I think, you know, one of the things that the way that kind of uh, forms a picture in my mind is, you know, we we really are dealing with uh, things that are in the physical and then things that are in the spiritual, or you could say the, the body and the soul, those types of things. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and I
0: think, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that we like to say in our ministry is, is I, I actually think we're sort of uh, composed of three parts, the emotional, the physical and the spiritual. Some mm-hmm. people say only two, I actually say, well, Jesus split it into four, heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, so how do you delineate on that? But anyway, and so sometimes when we say if you're going to get help for your whole person and you think of physical, spiritual, and emotional, well, a lot of times we we go to a a physician for the physical, right? Mm -hmm. We go to a pastor for the spiritual. And then we might go to a counselor for the emotional. And what happens is if we, only, if we get locked into just one of those tracks, like, hey, okay, clearly I just need to get some you know, biochemistry balanced out in my brain. And so I need to go see a doctor and make sure that all the physical is taken care of. That'll solve it. Give me a pill. I'll be fine. Well, we're missing like whole other parts of our being. And what I'm hearing you say is that maybe one of these parts that we are missing in a big way, especially for those women who are dealing with betrayal trauma, is this spiritual battle piece uh, yeah. so can we dig into that a little bit more in in terms of what did that look like for you in terms of actually doing spiritual battle you know dealing with this issue in your own marriage and then how has that translated to what you might teach or help other women learn in terms of how to engage spiritual battle effectively in this in this area
1: Yeah. So um, those those are all great questions. So how did this show up in my, in my own story? Um, The way that it showed up in my own story is that the Lord continued to ask me to surrender my husband over and over again. I would hear that word, let him go, surrender, let him go surrender. And I was just like, there was parts of me that I was like, that is impossible. If I let him go, he's going to die. Like that was my mentality of like, I cannot release him to God. And so God continued. So that was the first step, quite honestly, was that the Lord kept saying, there's got to be a place of surrender, Lachelle, because until you open your hands, I can't put anything back inside of it.
0: Can, can you speak to that just a, just a little bit more? Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not making the assumption that only wives are listening to this program. I know that there are husbands that are listening to, to it as well. Can you help? the husbands out there to understand like, okay, so what's that? What's the drive behind wanting to then cling or wanting to control or wanting like, why, why that? Right. Like what's the motivation? behind? I think probably all the, all the wives, they already know what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, they get it because they probably felt that very same thing, but can you help maybe the husbands out there to understand how difficult a, a real battle that is for a wife, To As you say, the Lord was asking you to surrender your husband when, in fact, it sounds like what you were wanting to do was kind of hold tightly or control or maybe tell us what that was like.
1: Yeah. So what I actually wanted to do was like put talons in his shoulders and like hold him as tight as possible. That's what it felt like was needed of me. I'm going to tell you the driving force behind all of that was fear. Mm. I was afraid. I was so scared. I didn't know enough about the things that I didn't know about. And so in order for me to feel like I had a sense of stability and safety, I attempted to over control and it came out in ways of like, I took care of the finances. I was making sure I knew where he was all the time. Um, (laughs) We have a, we laugh about it now, but there was a particular season where I was like, so what are you reading in your Bible right now? And my husband's like, uh, you know, and he gave me some answer. And if I were honest in that season, I kept praying, don't ask me what I'm reading in my Bible. Because right now I'm so worried about you mm-hmm. that I don't have capacity. I mean, i want say I became addicted to my husband's addiction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like it was everything. And, and I had put so much faith in stock in a support group. I put so much faith in stock in a a sponsor or a, well, he had an accountability partner. I put so much faith into a therapist. Like one of these was going to be the magic bullet that was going to get him well. And so going back to that whole, it's a whole package, right? Like he needed all of those things, but that wasn't really what was being communicated to me. Everything felt like we just have to find the right thing. And really what the Lord was saying was Lachelle, if you'll just let it all go and let me do my job, which is, be the healer, be the protector, do the things that I know that I've told you I am, this is going to come out different. So that
0: sounds like certainly one part of the battle is learning to, to let go and say, okay, my, my security is in the Lord rather than in my field, sense of control over my husband. Yeah. So obviously that's, that's a battle yeah. to be able to let go in that way. What, what were some other ways that just spiritual battle manifested in this process?
1: Yeah. So the, one of the things that I, that I felt like God called me into was I started being very intentional about praying over my marriage, my home and my husband. So I'll give you an example. Cause I have had women that are like, I've been praying for 30 some years and I'm like, I got it. But this is what the Lord asked me to do. So I started asking the Lord for words, that would help me bring scripture to life. And so one particular situation was, is that my husband traveled a lot for work and typically he would really struggle when he was on the road. And so two things that I would do when my husband would travel, because here's what I would used to do. Let me tell you what I used to do when my husband would travel, I would freak out. I would cry. I would be a nervous, anxious, crazy mess while he's gone accusing him constantly, all the things, Right. And the Lord started inviting me into doing this season different. And so what I started doing was, is that when my husband would travel, I actually would sleep on his side of the bed. And the reason I did this was because it was different. It was a bit like fasting, right? But I moved to his side of the bed and every night, instead of choosing fear and trepidation, I would begin to pray for him from head to toe. Mm. The other thing I would do is I would walk through his closet and I would lay hands on his clothes. And I would ask the Lord to take old garments and make them new. And I was just trying to be as because I knew that at that point there was nothing for me to actually do. I couldn't necessarily make my husband make a choice. He was going to still be in charge of his choice. But I did understand that I'm a daughter of the King and that my prayers matter. And so, and that's one of the things that you'd you'd mentioned a little bit before about uh, us as wives is that like the one thing that I know to be true. And I say this to women often is that no one and I mean absolutely no one can pray for our husbands like we can,
2: right.
1: no one has that role, no one has that position. I don't care if he has had fifteen affairs.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: are his wife, and that's a part where when you watch this type of betrayal and addiction hit a family in a marriage, she the wife loses sight of that particular role, that authority, that position that she has in this relationship. And so it's a part of what we love to do is almost feels like we resuscitate their spirit of being like, hey, don't forget that God has a plan for you. And there's there's specifics in there that are absolutely necessary for your story.
0: Mm -hmm. So And I would say, you know, one of the ways that I would even put that is is a wife has has power. And, and, but not in the way that she might think she has, okay. like, like, you know, you were saying earlier, you wanted to put talons yeah. into his shoulders and like steer him. And sometimes I think that's the only sense at first that a wife feels like she has any power because she feels like, Hey, I've been betrayed. I've been crushed. I've been belittled. I, I've, uh, I've kind of lost. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is when you, when you sort of begin to understand the spiritual battle that can go on, a wife has a position of power that no one else has in her husband's life. But it's a power that doesn't come through coercion. It's a power that you're saying comes through prayer.
1: Absolutely.
0: And and how do you help wives um, not just sort of acknowledge that, but enter into that? Because I can only imagine how just scary and confusing and, and maybe even just difficult that that can feel like to invite him to say, that's where your power lies. When a wife is saying, no, my power lies in having every single detail of his agenda mapped out and making sure I know exactly where he is and what he's doing. And you know what I mean? How do you help wives make some of that shift?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say that how do you help a wife make that shift is, first you got to tell her and you got to tell her again. Then you probably have to tell her one more time about how important her position is. And that the thing that we talk about in group is that there's a difference between a victor and a victim Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and victims have things happen to them and victors have things happen around them. Right. And so when you begin to understand that you are a victor because Jesus has already won the war, you get to show up in your marriage differently. And I'll give you an example of how that looked for us. As the Lord continued to work on me over the years, when my husband came home that night, when he got busted at work and he was going to lose his job, my my answer, my response was, I went, that is a real bummer. Mm -hmm. And at first it was like, looking back on that, I kind of laugh at myself. I'm like, bummer. But what happened was, is that, that was my husband's struggle and yes it was going to impact me but it wasn't being done to me and so there was a shift for me over the years of being like garen i want health for you i want you to be well but it's not going to take me down Mm -hmm. i will not succumb to this and that's a part of where when you start to see a woman step into that position where she's like oh my gosh i'm not going to die. I have a provider, I have a God who loves me, who's going to care for me. Guess what starts to happen when a woman can sit there and go, that's a bummer. Mm. Suddenly, she actually does start to step into a position of being a supporter and a co-heir and a co-laborer and we're standing side by side, right? And so if you took that into a military analogy, like my, my companion, my, whatever they're called, (laughs) um, has fallen. And it's not my job to stand there and get upset and saying, you totally ruined this for us. But there's a part of it where I can go, I'm going to help you enough, not codependently, but I have the strength and I'm going to be able to step forward and I'm going to keep praying for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you that there are resources out there and you need to go do it.
0: That's good. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I just wanted to ask if there's if there's anything else that you would want to say in this particular space of, of dealing with spiritual battle for wives out there, and then we'd love to be able to uh, point people to your resources. So if you can just let the, the wives know about your ministry and how they can get connected, we'd love to share that.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that the only other extra thing that I would add to this is that it's one thing for us to talk about that there's a spiritual battle when it comes to torment and triggers and things like that. But we also have to understand that the devil will come after us in so many different ways. He'll come through. He'll come at us with infidelity, mental illness, addictions, uh, anxiety. There's so many different ways that this manifests in in a particular marriage. And so it's like what I oftentimes I will see is that women will have or the husband, the addiction in itself, the behavior, the sin may be in check, but there's still something off. Like, and she's still battling so much. And so that's the part where I'm going, okay, there's a part where we get to teach you about how to do emotional regulation or CBT, whatever the look that looks like. But then there's also part of this, that this is another way that the devil has kind of kicked in the door and he's coming in and taking over. And so that's just, there's, it's a, it's big, but it's not big. Cause once you get his, once you get his strategy, it's pretty easy to, be like, and we're done
2: here.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. and and I've I've always liked to say, and I've heard it said many times before. You know, the uh, the the devil doesn't hasn't changed his strategy from the beginning. He's just persistent. <laughs> he's been around longer than the rest of us. You know,
1: absolutely. So
0: he knows how to leverage those those touch points that are going to create uh, distraction and distortion. He's going to distract us from what is good. He's going to distort what is good, and then he's going to try to create division. And he absolutely wants to create division, not not only in your marriage, but in yourself, right? Yeah. Which is why I think it's important that previously you had really mentioned how vitally important it was that you went on a journey of understanding your identity in Christ. Because when we understand our identity in Christ, we are whole. We're made whole. And therefore, it's like we can... We can so much more easily recognize all of those distractions and distortions and divisions that the enemy wants to bring because we're going, wait a second, you're trying to break up the wholeness that I have in Christ and nope, not going to happen. You know, we can, we can yes. fit much better when we know who we are in Christ. So tell us how we can uh, send people your way. How, how can ladies get more help and more resources from you?
1: Yeah. So our ministry, the name of it is called Hope Redefined. And our website is hoperedefined.com. Um, they're welcome to get on the website and check out the things that we offer to support women. We do online support groups, so we support women all over the world. Um, but we do online support groups. We do one-to-one coaching, and that is my. The, you'd asked about credentials earlier, but I am a. I am a certified. Uh, I'm a professional coach, and I have an emphasis in recovery and betrayal trauma. I've also been trained by APSATS. If you've heard of that before, the Association of I always write it down because I always want to mess it up. So the association of partners of sex addiction trauma specialists. And so I think you've had Barbara Steffens on here before. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So Barb is a part of that organization. So, um, and then, uh, so yeah, so our website is hope dot We do the groups, we do uh, one-to-one coaching. And the last thing we do is we offer, uh, we actually do a retreat twice a year and that in and of itself, we call it an intensive healing retreat. And that's what it is. But a big portion of what we do is this spiritual warfare conversation. And we start to equip women with the tools that they need to go back and live in this position in their homes. And so yeah. our next retreat is scheduled for October 22nd, 2020. And we usually offer two a year. Okay. So.
0: Well, Lachelle, praise God for what he's done in your life and in your marriage. Um, we are grateful for how you've um responded in obedience to him to now use your story and use what he's done in your life to help others. So thank you for that. And thank you for being on the program today.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, listeners, you know, we're always glad that you're with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care.